so uh, do you have uh, do you have any stories that have been overplayed in your family as we get into uh, as we get into this this holiday season? Do you have any stories that that kind of ran their course and yet for some reason they continue to come up over and over and over again uh, when you get together? Yes, no. We have we have a story in our family that uh, when we were really young, it, there must be a diaper theme um, going on this morning. But, uh, but there's this story of when we had twins right off the bat. I had just moved into a brand new office um, and where I was working, and they had just finished the new wing, and, um, and I had done my, my day work, and then I had an evening gathering, and so I just decided to spend the whole day there. And so the kids came to me for a little bit for Bethany to take a break or while she was getting ready. And um, I was changing Kylan's diaper on the ground because I was a new parent and didn't think that a changing table or pad was valuable. And so um, I've got the diaper off, and, and I'm just sitting there kind of doing my thing and taking my time because I'm not quick at these things. And, and all of a sudden, um, the, the pureed peas come through my son, and they had not changed consistency at all. And not knowing what to do, I find myself just kind of, as there's this movement toward the carpet, just kind of lunging and and just holding twice-baked pureed peas in my hands and just sitting there having no idea what to do because I didn't want to call out. I didn't want to ask for help. Um, I, was, I was truly paralyzed in that moment. And so Bethany comes down the hall, and she looks in my office, and she just sees me here with a naked baby on the ground and, and holding something that I, I dreadfully wish I had never had to hold in my life. And... Um, and she thought it was the funniest thing ever and, you know, thought that, well, let me, let me, just, let me just slow down and savor this moment is what my, my wife's attitude was. And, uh, and so she loves to tell that story. And, and it's been told so many times that the, the boys have a lot of pride in it. And my other son, Judah, uh, I mentioned they're twins. He is now, he thinks, he's convinced it was him that did it because the story's been told so many times. So he's, he's adopted it as, as his own. And, uh, and sometimes there's just... There's just stories that continue to come up over and over and over again. Um, but stories communicate something that a statement never can, right? Uh, I, I could say, yes, our lives changed a lot with twins. I could say that statement. They were work. Or I could tell that story, right? And all of a sudden, there's a, uh, a texture <laughs> to the statement, so to speak. Uh, it does not do the same thing to say, yeah, our lives changed as to tell the handful of poop story. And so, so there's something that happens with a story that communicates something that a statement never could. I can tell my kids, your, gran- your great-grandfather lived a long time ago. I'm sorry, your great-great-grandfather lived a long time ago. Or when we start singing uh, the Christmas songs of, of Jingle Bells, you know, and, and get to that, that verse that says, uh, just get a bobtailed bay, 244 for his speed, hitch him to an open sleigh and crack you, take the lead. I can say, hey, I remember when your great-great-grandfather told me that 240 meant that's how fast a horse could run a mile in, and the faster was the stronger, the faster time, the lower time was the stronger the horse was. And he told me how he used to date your great-great-grandmother when he was born in 1901, how he used to date her by taking her out in a one-horse open sleigh. And I can tell him about that. That's a different thing than saying your great-great-grandfather lived a really long time ago. A story does something that a statement could never possibly do. Uh, 
And, and so, so we pass on stories to give our words meaning. Uh, we tell stories to remind us of the past so that we can somehow find a way to connect it to the future. Statements can be helpful, but stories are literally how they come to life. God is faithful. That's a statement. It's a worthwhile statement. You will find it in the scriptures over and over again. Uh, it's, a, it's a proclamation. But if you say, you know, last year I was beginning to think that joy was no longer possible for me. But then X, Y, Z happened. And, and then God met me and, and slowly walked with me. And, and, and here's, here's where I'm journeying now. That, that's a demonstration, not a proclamation. That, that shows, that is a story that helps a statement come to life. All right? Um, and, and it's different because when we do that, words take on flesh. Words become flesh, like Jesus. Uh, there is a lack in today's Christianity of words becoming flesh. There's a lack of letting our stories make our statements instead of simply making statements. <laughs> um, I want us to make progress in this area just a little bit today. I want us to explore why the stories of God must remain central and, uh, and what they can do in our lives when we allow them that. I want us to be emboldened by the Spirit of God to see the great story for what it is, but also to learn how to tell it in our own lives better than ever. Um, because in telling our stories, we might even find the faith that we are looking for as we learn to tell the great story and how it fits to our story. Um, so we start by recalibrating ourselves and by beginning to look at the Bible as a grand story before we think about it as anything else. The Bible is many things, but we start and, and keep foremost the, the scriptures as an understanding and an image of a grand story in our lives. All right, And we move it from there into our own experiences, but we start by seeing it as a story. So, so just take in this poem written by Brian Zond, who's an author and a seminary professor uh, who's impacted me greatly. Hear these words. It's a story. We're telling news here. We're keeping alive an ancient epic. The grand narrative of paradise lost and of paradise regained. The greatest once upon a time tale ever told. The beautiful story which moves relentlessly toward they lived happily ever after. Never, never, never forget that before anything else, it is a story. So let the story live and breathe, enthrall and enchant. Don't rip its guts out and leave it lifeless on the dissecting table. Don't make it something it's really not a catalog of wished-for promises, an encyclopedia of God facts, a law journal of divine edicts, a how-to manual for do-it-yourselfers. <laughs> Find the promises, learn the facts, heed the laws, live the lessons, but don't forget the story. Learn to read the book for what it is. God's great, big, wild, wonderful, surprise-ending love story. Let there be wonder. Let there be mystery. Let there be tragedy. Let there be heartbreak. Let there be suspense. 
Let there be surprise. Let it be earthy and human. Let it be celestial and divine. Let it be what it is, and don't try to make it perfect where it's not. The fantastic story of creation, alienation, devastation, incarnation, salvation, restoration. With its cast of thousands, more Tolstoy novel than a thousand-page sermon, it's a story because we are not saved by ideas, but by events. Here's a plot line for you. Death, burial, resurrection. Yes, it's a story. Not a plan, not an ology or an ism, but a story. And it's an amalgamated patchwork story told in mixed medium. Narration, history, genealogy. Prophecy, poetry, parable, psalm, song, sermon, dream and vision, memoir, letter. So understand the medium and don't try so hard to miss the point. Try to learn what matters and what doesn't. It's not where and when Job lived, it's what Job learned in his painful odyssey and poetic theodicy. It's not how many cubits of water you need to put Everest under a flood, but why the world was so dirty that it needed such a big bath. Trying to find Noah's Ark instead of trying to rid the world of violence really is an exercise in missing the point. Speaking of missing the point, it's not, did a snake talk, but what the freaking thing said. Because even though I've never met a talking snake, I have sure had serpentine thoughts crawl through my head. Inert facts are easy enough to set on the shelf, but the story well told will haunt you. Ah, the story well told, that's what's needed. It's time for the story to bust out of the cage and take the stage and demand a hearing once again. It's a story, I tell you. And if you allow the story to seep into your life so that the story begins to weave into your story, well, that's when at last, my friend, you're reading the Bible right. Thanks, Sabrina. When we begin to look for these things, when we begin to see the story, it, it starts popping out everywhere. Luke begins his gospel by literally saying, many have undertaken to draw up an account to tell a story of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those uh, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have decided too to write an orderly account for you. I have decided to tell the story as well. I'm about to tell you a story, he says. Don't miss it. Uh, the beginning of the book of John is what uh, Sabrina read, um, celestial and divine, we might say. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
And it gets very, very high and holy in its language. And it's beautiful. He was with God. Through, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Wow. What an incredible statement. What a heady thing. And then, you know, it's almost as if John says, okay, after that introduction, let me explain. There was a man sent from God, and he begins to immediately tell the story to define what it means that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So instead of sticking with grand, beautiful statements, which, by the way, are incredibly, incredibly significant, what we get, though, is we get that there was a man sent by God, and his name was John. So let me start from the beginning and tell you the story that will eventually help you understand that in him was life, and that life was the light of all of mankind. But it has to happen in a story so we understand how on earth one man can bring light to all mankind. So this is the story that we get to inherit. Um, and then, of course, John ends with this great, this is the last verse in the entire book of John. Jesus did many other things as well. If any one of them were, if, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Notice, notice that John's final statement doesn't say that Jesus said many other things as well. No doubt he did. He said so many other things, we're sure. But John says he did many other things because it's the stories that stick with us and give life to the statements. And statements like this in John drive like Bible nerds like me absolutely bonkers. Because I'm like, why didn't you tell us, man? Come on. You did all these other things. I want to know some, of the mo- I want to know some more. Uh, give, me, give me some more to, to wrestle with and, and encounter and all that. Come on. Um, but apparently, John didn't think it was necessary at the time. I wouldn't have minded a, a sequel at some point. Um, maybe he wrote one and we just haven't found it yet. All right. Uh, these are, are the stories over and over and over that we encounter. And it begins with the story of God. Um, the, the bottom line is that every time that, uh, that God and people interact, the end result is a story is formed, okay? And, and so every single time that God and people react, a story is formed. And when those stories are told, um, when those stories are told, what they do is they end up, oh boy, um, this is going to be a tree. Okay. Is what, what they end up doing is they end up being kind of the, the organic matter that builds our faith. We tell stories. We tell the story of God. We tell the stories of what's happened in our own lives. And our faith is able to grow stronger and stronger because we are seeing the things that we are told are true in real life. And we need this to happen. Otherwise, we'll be stuck with a whole bunch of statements about God, but no experiences with God. No, no glimpses of what faithfulness looks like in the real life. And that's what discipleship is all about anyways. Uh, there was a, a section that, uh, that captured me this week when I was considering the role of story in strengthening our own faith. And it's found in, uh, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Now, the book of Hebrews is really interesting, and unfortunately, we're not going to get into it uh, too, too deeply today, um, but it's written, there's, there's debate over whether it was written by Paul or another author. Um, I'm on the fence about it after looking at it from a, a number of angles still. It's not that important, uh, but 
But anyways, the author of Hebrews, uh, he's writing to a people who are entrenched in their Jewish faith, but trying to follow Jesus. And what they're finding is there's a whole bunch of legalism, and there's a whole bunch of, of understanding of the sacrificial system and the temple and all of this stuff that they're having trouble letting go of. And so the writer of Hebrews uses very harsh language at times, but to try to help them understand that you are walking into a new law, a new covenant truly, and there are some things that you are allowed to leave behind. All of these regulations and rules that have defined your faith and your standing with God are now no longer present. And so, so they're struggling though. You can tell as you read the whole book of Hebrews, you can tell that they're struggling so much. And Paul's just trying to push, just keep your eyes on Jesus all the time. You're going to be okay. But in the midst of this, sorry, in the midst of a difficult world of belief and trust in Jesus because they're getting persecuted. So they're struggling with, is this even right? Because I'm walking away from essentially the faith that I've inherited and and adopted and taken on as my own for much of my life. Is this right? But also not only is this right, but I'm getting killed because of it. My friends are getting killed. So this is not not exactly low level, you know, risk. And so, so the writer of Hebrews is writing to them. And in chapter 10, he begins to, to, to tell them what his point is about to be. And he says, listen, I want you to hold, this is in verse 23, I want you to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because God is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And so in the midst of this, think about how you might be able to spur another, each other on, okay? Toward love, toward good deeds. How can you continue to build the faith? All right, a few verses later, the way that he encourages them to build the faith and to hold on to hope, because God's faithful. He says, first, by remembering your own story. He says, before we do anything else, I just want to say, remember the stories that I've seen in you, because you might be starting to forget them. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured great conflict full of suffering. I love the, the phrase, received the light. And, and he goes on and he explains what that looked like in their lives. But he says, don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. Um, I feel a connection to Paul in that area. Because, um, because as, as your, your pastor, sometimes I get a glimpse into your lives. And I know some of your ongoing struggles and battles. But I also know the incredible strength that you have. And so sometimes I look at stories like this and I, I think about how many of you are, are just on a difficult path right now. Life is not easy. There is brokenness that you are confronted with all the times. And, and I, I want to echo Paul's words and say, remember how strong you are. Remember those moments where you have been able to survive and continue to walk in hope and grace. And don't let those fade from your life. Remember your own stories. And sometimes we need people to tell us our own stories. You get that? Does that make sense? Sometimes when we're weak, we need people to say, I know you. I know that you are strong. And I know that you're going to keep walking through this. I know that you've seen God's faithfulness. I know that you believe that God is present. And I'm just going to remind you that I've seen you be in touch with that presence and continue to take one step after another over and over and over again. So don't throw away your confidence because it's going to be richly rewarded. I'm going to tell you your own story. And I'm going to let that build you up. So Paul, or (laughs) I just did it, I just, yeah, we'll just call him Paul right now, uh, because I go back and forth, like I said, all the time. So so Paul's writing, and and, and then he he says, he begins this this new statement that is a continuation of the old at the beginning of, of Hebrews chapter 11, and he defines faith. 
He said, now remember, we're talking about building faith. We're talking about how God is faithful, okay? And faith is confidence in what we are hoping for and assurance about what we do not see. So he openly acknowledges that there are things that we do not see that actually require our faith, right? And then he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And just a side note, uh, a few of us on the pastoral team were talking earlier this week, and uh, sometimes just to shake ourselves out of like, like uh, maybe flat Bible thinking, like Paul, we are closer to Paul in terms of chronology than Paul was to the first fathers of Christian faith, to Abraham and Isaac. We're, we're more contemporaries with Paul than he was with them. So he says, look at the old folks. Look at the ones who've gone way before us, the ancients. Paul thought of Moses and Elijah and Abraham as ancient people. Just grasp that for a minute because it helps us. Because sometimes we just think that these were all like buddies hanging out with each other. Okay, the, the, the scriptures tell stories of thousands of years put together and that's why it's so powerful. It's God's faithfulness through that whole time. But let's not lose that, that impact. Uh, but, but so he, he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. So Paul has just said, I'm going to remind you of your own story. And he says, and then I'm going to tell you some other stories. I'm going to tell you some other stories to build your faith. Because faith is about confidence in what we can't see, the willingness to persevere and keep walking. And so he begins to dive into these stories, and we're not even going to go through all of them, because the point is, uh, is how he's doing this and, and, and the overall theme, not the specific content, but he talks about Abel and, and how Abel desired to, to give God sacrifices that were pure. Um, and he talks about Enoch who wanted to uh, walk with God so closely and, and, and he was taken up with God. He never even experienced death. And he talks about Noah and he talks about Abraham uh, and, and how Abraham, even though this is in verse 8 of chapter 11, by faith Abraham when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Okay, so he's talking about Abraham didn't have this thing figured out. He didn't know where he was going or where the path would head. But Abraham is commended for his faith. He made his home in this promised land and he lived like a stranger in a foreign country. Abraham, model of faith. Let's just give a little bit of commentary on Abraham for a minute. Abraham, Married to Sarah. God says, go, trust me. He says, okay, they get into a new land. Uh, there's a slight risk given the fact that Sarah's pretty. Oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Do you want her? You may marry her. Not, you know, not, not a great act of faith there, yeah? Like, I don't know how many of you are married and look over at your husbands and say, yeah, there's a real glimpse of a faithful guy. Willing to give me up to save his own skin. We need to remember this because we read the stories of faith and all of a sudden we take their humanity totally away from them. And, and we think that, that in order to be one of those great people that stories are, one, are, are told about one day, we got to be like Abraham who listened some of the time. Like we, we just need to understand that Paul is trying to tell the story of victory, but Paul is fully aware of all the defeats that are in here too. And so he goes on and he tells the story of people who kept walking, and they kept walking over and over again, and it's beautiful because they kept walking, not because they walked perfectly. And, and, and so, so he uses this by faith. It's called an anaphora, is the English, the, the literary 
thing that he's doing. It's a short phrase that's used over and over and over again. And what it does is it gets us out of our head and into our heart. There's this repetition by faith, by faith, by faith. He kept walking. By faith, he kept his eyes on God. By faith, he listened and he was uncomfortable. By faith, over and over. And all of a sudden, we start to feel this, this rhythm, okay? And, and there's this, this thing that the writer expects, that when, when the stories are, are told and when the stories are heard, they will change and strengthen the listener. And he's right. And this is how we persevere in our faith. It goes on. We're going to look in at just a second at, at the, the verse that, he, uh, that I think is maybe the most significant in all of this. But, uh, but developing our faith by telling stories, it, it changes us in some huge, huge ways. And one of the biggest ways that it changes us is it helps us understand God. Um, do you know what crowdsourcing is? Okay. Crowdsourcing is essentially when uh, somebody needs information or, or help, and so they throw it out usually to the entire world of the internet, all right? Um, and, and so what happens is everybody gives their collective knowledge, and they create something. And so when we tell our stories, we, we begin to understand God more by actually crowdsourcing our God awareness, all right? So we tell stories of how each of us is being encountered or is encountering God or being changed by Jesus, and the more stories we hear, the deeper glimpse we get at how God works. Because God might work in your life in a way that, that is different than how I typically perceive God. And if you don't believe that, just look at the upbringings of people in church. The type of church that you were brought up in, if you were brought up in a church, either defines how you experience God or is the exact way that you don't experience God because of being brought up in that church. One of those two things. You'll say, yeah, I was brought up in a charismatic church and, uh, and that didn't go great for me. So I never experienced God through through. The, the intense emotions, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm very grounded in my intellectual faith. Or you might say, but, but it's because of those things. So we are formed by our upbringing. Or maybe because you grew up in a charismatic environment, you're very open to the Spirit's movement because you've seen it in beautiful ways, and you experience God like that. But we need to hear each other tell stories of where we've been changed, of where, where Jesus is changing us into his image to love the world better. So, so we understand God better by telling our stories. Uh, this might go without saying, but we understand each other when we tell our stories better. Last weekend, uh, 11 of us men were gone at our uh, first annual uh, men's retreat, uh, spiritual formation retreat, and there was a ton of storytelling that happened on that weekend. A lot, of, a lot of us shared about what was happening either in small conversations or with the group um, about what was going on in our lives. And, and hearing those stories about our own journeys with God and intersecting, how, how, how our lives are, are intersecting with God's heart and mission for the world and to change us, it began to build in me a, a huge capacity for compassion for each of the men that I was listening to. I started to understand their story, and when I understand their story and understood them, all of a sudden, I was more eager to cheer them on than ever before. I was more eager to, uh, to, to encourage them, to, to make space for them, because each has gone through difficulties that I haven't gone through. We've each experienced things, and I've experienced difficulties that they haven't. And, and we just, we learned, to, wow, I didn't realize that that was something that you're walking through. It's, there's so much that happens when we tell our stories well in understanding God better, in understanding each other 
And, and the, uh, one more thing that developing our faith by telling stories, one, way, one more way that it changes us is it reminds us that we are in process. And this is huge, friends. I mean, this is like really a big deal. Uh, this is about humility and expectation. If, if we're partnering with Jesus in authoring our story, then we will learn how to hold tomorrow with an open hand. We will understand that our faith is constantly growing and flexing, sometimes failing, sometimes soaring. Uh, but we, we will learn that we have to trust and rely on God, even when life feels like unbearable at the moment. Because here's the incredible thing. Our, uh, our long process, our faith being in process, it does not in any way disqualify our story. It is really important. Our faith being in process does not in any way disqualify our story. Hebrews 11 is a reminder that unfinished stories are still worth telling. Okay? Uh, take a look at, uh, at the statement in the middle of all of these stories. He says all these people were still living by faith when they died, but they didn't receive the things that were promised. They... they do you understand that some of them are, are saying they died still thinking, I thought God was leading me toward this and I haven't seen it. I haven't grasped it. They only saw and welcomed those things from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. And then he gives this little caveat. But if they were thinking about their actual country, don't miss the point here, friends. If they were thinking about their actual country, they could have returned. No, no, no. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hear me on this, friends. There is as much power in a story of faith still unfulfilled as there is of faith that is full of restoration and victory. Okay, one speaks to the powerful spirit of God and one speaks to the empowered spirit that God has given us to keep walking even when we don't grasp. So there is as, as much power in saying, here's where I saw the faithfulness of God and he met me and I, I felt hopeless and, and my situation changed. That's beautiful. We need to tell those stories. And there's so much value in saying, here's where in my emptiness I have such big questions, I have such heartbreak, and I don't know what to do, but I'm continuing to walk as best I can toward Jesus, come what may. And do you know what God says? Do you know what God says to that? God is not ashamed to be called your God. Even if your heart's longings are unmet right now, even if you feel like you are still walking in the dark, but trying your best to fix your eyes on Jesus, to seek out what is true and good. Even if you don't see redemption and get discouraged, even if all of that seems so far off, God is not ashamed to be called your God because he is preparing a city for you. So don't be ashamed yourselves to call him yours. Don't be afraid to tell your story. Uh, there is so much value in it. Um, and, and I know that it's not easy. 
I, I know that so many times learning how to, to, to give words and voice to such mystery is very, very difficult. But I think sometimes we convince ourselves of all the reasons that stories aren't worth telling in our lives. Uh, we convince ourselves, we, we have these barriers. Um, and the barriers are, are very different for different people. For some people, a barrier to telling your story of God's faithfulness or your story of faith um, is... Uh, one of, one of your barriers is uh, you're worried I'll look good. <laughs> you're worried if you share about God's faithfulness that you'll make yourself look really good. Like, look at this. God provided for me. Or, or I was able to stay strong in this area. Or, or I was able to love radically. I was able to forgive and it changed everything. And we're like, well, I don't want to make myself, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. If that's a concern, by the way, if that's actually a concern, then you're pretty much disqualified yourself from even having to worry about it. Okay? If you're worried about looking good, that reveals the heart enough to say, get over it, you're fine. <laughs> if, you're full, if you're completely unaware of this, that's when you need to tune in. Um, if you're like, yeah, I mean, like, pretty impressive as a disciple. Never thought, of, never thought about that. Never thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, you need to think about that. Um, but, but we need stories of victory. We need stories of, of showing where God shows up and saves the day where God changes our hearts and brings the ability to forgive and the ability to be generous and the ability to love the poor even when we're drawn towards selfishness and the ability to let go of, of, of uh, habits and addictions and, and these things. Like those are stories that need to be told because they strengthen our faith and they give us a creative imagination to live radically with Jesus. Uh, a second thing is that my story... Um, is, let's do it this way. My story's not dynamic enough. It's hard for me to tell my story because it's just kind of average. Now, I don't know what most of your days consist of from waking up to going to bed. Um, maybe they're full of rapturous moments of experiencing Jesus. And, and making crazy decisions that change your life. Most of my days are about getting one of my kids to put their pants on. And then finally saying, you know what, I don't even care. But, but or, or they're, they're, they're sitting over coffee with somebody and hearing their story. Or it's trying to figure out how to fix my email because my phone won't let me send from my LifePath account. And, and things like this. And, and we have to learn that if we, if we think that the only thing that God is in is the amazing moments that occur about once every five or ten years, or in Abraham's case, 17 years between the two times that he heard from God, if we think that that is the story to tell or the only story to tell, we're totally missing the mark. Brother Lawrence wrote a, uh, he was one of the ancients, <laughs> one of our ancients and one of the early desert fathers in early Christianity. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he lived and worked at a monastery and he devoted his life to doing what? Dishes. And he hated doing dishes. And he decided that if I am going to learn that Jesus is in every single thing, then I am going to be the dishwasher at my monastery. And through the years, he learned to experience the rapturous love of God as he was washing dishes. Fully available, fully full of joy, changed tons of lives after that with his writings and his actions. But the point is that most of our moments are really mundane. And, and, and so, so 
when we learn to tell stories that are not super dynamic of God being faithful to meet us in the little moments, the little moments of discouragement, whatever, that's actually speaking to each other more than you realize. Those, those huge, crazy, life-changing moments where you make a decision on faith and say, oh my gosh, everything's about to be different, those totally happen. I can rip off 10 of them that have happened within this church right here. And those, those should be told, but they certainly by no means should be the only stories told. So, so my story is not dynamic enough is not an excuse. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to go be my witnesses. He doesn't say you're going to be my expert witnesses having everything figured out. He just says a witness. You just take the stand and say what you've seen. Say where you've been changed. You know, I love that story in John 9 where that blind man sees. I tell it all the time. You guys know it, uh, many of you. You know, Jesus gives sight to this, this blind man. And all the Pharisees come and they say, tell us, we know that this man's a sinner because don't, don't, don't try to tell us that he did anything else because they're really upset about it and they're trying to get dirt on Jesus. And he goes, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and I can see. <laughs> That's all I know. Uh, that, I mean, I don't, I don't have a theological statement on all of this. I was blind, but now I see. Be my witness, Jesus says. Tell, tell what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, and that's enough. Uh, and the, the, final, the final thing is that it's too shameful. Um, my story's too full of shame. And by the way, when I talk about telling stories, I'm not talking about up on stage here. That might be, there might be times and places for that, but I'm talking about just learning how to share within, with each other. Um, that might be how you feel. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes the, the telling of our own struggle is literally the way that the next page gets written in our story. It's by telling it, by sharing it, by being honest about it and being loved in response and not being judged, by being welcomed as a disciple on this ongoing journey. That's where we actually find allies in our journey. That's where we find co-workers in Christ. That's where God brings new characters that shift the plot line. Uh, so, so just look at the Gospels and find out how many times Jesus takes away the shame of people. If shame is, a, is a, an issue for you, I realize I'm sitting directly in front of the whiteboard, which is horrible. Um, but if shame is one of your, your things that you constantly deal with as you think about you failed in your, in, in your own story, you feel like, oh, I just I keep faltering, whatever. Just take a look through the Gospels and say, how, how many times did Jesus take away people's shame? It's one of his biggest job descriptions. It's, it's profound. Um, the point is not perfection. The point is lives, lives of faith, each moment, um, even when it hurts. So uh, it, it's really, really fascinating. The final section, um, he, he goes on to talk about more moments of by faith, by faith, by faith. And he talks about Moses and Joseph and, and others. And then, he, and then he just starts ripping things off. He can't even describe people. So he just starts naming names of some of the prophets. Because there's too much to tell. He's overwhelmed with all of these stories. And then he moves from them to the nameless ones. To the ones who are never given a word in the Bible. And he goes on. And eventually he says in verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging. While others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Now, just a moment. Before we, we disconnect that so much from our lives, and we need to have a disconnect when we talk about like persecution. We're not being persecuted. But we do suffer sometimes for our faith. And I don't mean because other people make fun of you. I, I, I mean to be faithful sometimes is painful. 
to walk in self-denial, to not give in to selfishness, to, to, to live generously, to do the things that Jesus taught us to do. It is painful. And so let's not too quickly disconnect ourselves from this story. Because the next line that, that he talks about, when people walk through pain as they are trying to seek and follow Jesus, when it's hard, when they've suffered, he says the world was not worthy of them. So I just want to proclaim to you when you walk through the hard path of trying to be faithful. No offense to the world, but they're not worthy of you. This is the hope. This is the promise. That when we walk through that, God says, wow. I think so often we think God says, how about a little more? We don't take a step back and God says, wow, what faith. They're trying hard. They're truly seeking to live faithfully. The world's not worthy of them. What a statement. What a statement. Hmm. Um, so the final, um, he follows that up with, with this little statement. These were all commended for their faith. Again, incomplete, right? Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And I love this. What had God planned what was the better thing? How would we be made perfect? Jesus. God had promised that Jesus would one day come to restore all things, and they never got a chance to see that. And Paul's saying, but you have. And now that Jesus has come to create this, this church that walks toward the fullness of the kingdom that's going to one day come, this all the people, all the people will be together and be made perfect in this, in, in Jesus's, the building that Jesus is creating. Uh, that's the point of, of Advent. The story eventually gets to Jesus. The point of Advent that we are starting next week is about faith that waits, that watches, that tells the old story of God coming among while anticipating the new stories of God coming among. God has come and God is coming and God will come. And he doesn't come in a statement, but he comes in a story. So we're going to do that by remembering that God shows up and comes to life in our lives. Um, our stories get to be told with God's stories. There's this one thing that I used to do with, uh, with my kids and their friends when they would be over, and we called it progressive storytelling. And what, what we did was one, one person would start a story with once upon a time or whatever, and they'd just say one sentence. And then we'd go around the circle, and the next person says, and then, and they'd do the next thing. They're not allowed to, they're not allowed to dis discount what just happened. They're just, they continue the story. And then, and then, and then, and we go all the way around, and we have no idea where the story's going to end, but everybody's contributing their sentence, their page, their chapter, right? And, and as I thought about that, uh, such a beautiful glimpse of storytelling where, where we build on the last, that's kind of the way the church keeps the faith. It's the way that we build faith. We tell stories even when we're not sure where they'll lead or what the end is, even when we have not received all that we sense God has promised. We keep walking. And, and, and then the church itself has a shared voice by inviting the world and each other to continue to trust Jesus by telling that story of God then and now. Um, so we want to build your faith over the next few weeks. Uh, not necessarily build knowledge, although hopefully that'll be a byproduct, but we really want to build your faith over the next four weeks. Uh, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to glimpse Take a glimpse at the story of Jesus entering our world, and alongside that, during our messages, we're going to dive into four real-life stories from within this community. 
Um, Stories that remind us that in Jesus is life, and that life is the light of all mankind, as John says. So Jesus is faithful, and he draws us into this great story. Even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of confusion, light and life are always possible. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to celebrate so, uh, so I guess the encouragement, friends, is let's, let's live stories of such faith that they're worth telling over and over again, not for our glory, but for God's, even if they're unresolved. All right, so, uh, so I'll encourage you that as you explore your story over the next month with God's story, keep the pursuit of Jesus at the center, keep walking in humility and expectation, and be unafraid of being constantly changed as you walk. May you be filled with faith and readiness to write the next chapter because your story is worth telling. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ancients and their stories of faith of continuing to walk following Jesus. We thank you for Abraham and Moses. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus in coming to us and the early participants and writers of the New Testament. We thank you for all those in the early church that tried to figure this out, that walked through suffering. We thank you for our own spiritual ancestors and for those among the faithful in our own spheres of influence who have gone before us. We pray that in the midst of remembering them and telling their stories and looking at our own stories, that our faith and the faith of our brothers and sisters around us might be built in a new way this December. Uh, Come and meet us where we are, Lord. And thank you for declaring your love and your ownership of us. Amen.